there! Welcome to Who's Left, a podcast about Indiana politics, history, and culture from an unapologetically leftist perspective. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers, and I'm broadcasting from Bloomington. This week, two interviews about my frustrations with the Democratic Party and whether or not they are an appropriate vehicle for real progressive change. First, Purdue professor Dr. David Sanders will convince me that the Democratic Party is, in fact, a, a good vehicle for progressive change. Second, a Democratic Party skeptic, my good friend Emily Duchon, convinces me otherwise. We'll have my verdict at the end. First, Purdue professor Dr. David Sanders. At this time, let's welcome to the Who's Left podcast, Dr. David Sanders. He is an associate professor of biological sciences at Purdue University, received his Bachelor of Science from Yale and his PhD from UC Berkeley. He discovered a biochemical reaction that leads to the entry of cancer-causing retroviruses into cells and is the author of two U.S. patents on novel gene therapy techniques. A member, uh, sorry, uh, a career award recipient from the National Science Foundation, and a research scholar with the American Cancer Society. Dr. Sanders is a fierce advocate for integrity in peer review in, and publication. Additionally, he is currently in his second term on the West Lafayette City Council and has previously run for the state Senate twice and Congress three times. Dr. Sanders, welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Appreciate being with me. So, um, Doc, the Democratic Party has been described by some as the graveyard of progressive social movements. Um, are progressives beating their heads against the wall part or, uh, partnering with the Democratic Party? Or should we be seeking uh, alternative routes? You know, that's a terrific question. Uh, I... I believe in the long. I believe in the long term, and I believe that in the long term, uh, progressive ideas uh, win out. They uh, they make so much sense that they eventually uh, infiltrate into uh, the society's decisions. But we have to be we have to be persistent, and we have to stand for um, what we believe. I think that the Democratic Party has not put enough effort into uh, implementing its economic policies. We, once we, we sometimes bring them up and then we start running away uh, from them. And I think that uh, if we make a consistent effort at explaining why the progressive economic policies that we favor are in fact the correct ones uh, for society that we can win consistently, but we need to, we but we can't be afraid of making those arguments. We can't be uh, told to you know that this violates free enterprise or the capitalist system or whatever it is. We just can't. We can't. We have to stop being afraid of emphasizing that uh, these policies are what are in the long term uh, good for everyone and that some of the um, social equity policies are also good economic policy and that 
uh, sustainability is good economic policy. So we just have to be firm about this. We cannot let people scare us away from our uh, priorities. Um, so I think I think progressives can work with the Democratic Party, but we have to continue to insist upon these you know, fundamental principles as uh, the basis for uh, both societal and political success. Sure. Um, now, d- despite what Republicans say, uh, the Democratic Party is still a capitalist party. Um, can a party dedicated to upholding capitalism forcefully advocate for progressive policies um, that might not be profitable to the donor class? So that's a that's a great question. Oh, you capitalism. I am I am a you know an academic. Uh, of course, capitalism arises from Adam Smith, and it merely uh, it, it actually has to do with um, international policy. That's what capitalism uh, is about. It's, it's it's essentially about trade policy. It's not about and when when we talk about the invisible hand, it's also related to trade policy. It's not about um, unfettered uh, economic con- uh, competition and exploitation. That is not what capitalism, you know, by its origin uh, in economics actually means. So, uh, you know, is, is there a role for uh, free trade in, uh, a, um, in an equitable society? I think that there is. Are there, is there a role for economic incentives uh, for promoting uh, human activity? And the answer is yes, I believe that's the case. Is there a role for um, for you know wealth creation as a motivating force? The answer is yes. The question is whether those are um, the sole motivations for society. Um, does government play a proper role, as I believe it does, and as I believe the progressive movement uh, does, that um, in making sure that there is fairness and equity in our economic system uh, is so, you know, and in particular, you know, one of the things that should be concerning is are all voices equal in the democratic process? And so issues, again, which we've shied away from, but I think that are crucial for uh, success, uh, issues of campaign financing, issues of advertising and social media, uh, those are very, we, we ignore them at our peril. We will not be able to make progress on a lot of those other issues, unless we uh, make a full commitment to uh, more equity, more fairness, more transparency in the political process. And so uh, donors frequently, you mentioned donors have a particular uh, a particular interests and uh, they need to be addressed, but we should not uh, allow donors' interests to outweigh the interests of society uh, at large. And we need to figure out ways 
to involve people who have been uh, underprivileged and excluded from societal decision, that needs to be a focus of our efforts. And it, it is difficult. It is difficult because in the short run, it's hard to achieve political goals uh, when you have a large disaffected class that is not participating in the political process. I understand that. You, you, know, you can only win political power through the electoral process through actual voters. But uh, we have to, th- you know, through the powers that we do have, uh, we need to emphasize uh, participation and um, trying to, you know, eliminate the power discrepancies uh, that occur in our democratic process. Yeah, so it seems like... Uh... You know, the last generation of leadership in the Democratic Party uh, really uh, embraced uh, neoliberalism. You know, they, they embraced the, the, the concept that the market knows all uh, and that regulation was uh, a bad thing, which is essentially the same as the Republican position, just, you know, with rainbows and hearts on it. Um, do you see the tide turning? Do you see Democratic leadership realizing that they had made a wrong turn with like Bill Clinton, you know, in, in, in that era? I wish I could say that I see the, the tide turning. Unfortunately, um, I, I can't say that. Uh, I will say that we need to just make our, our arguments consistent. We can't just fight on the playing field that other people have provided for us. So when people talk about too much regulation, I always have two words for them, fire codes. Uh, Our cities, our towns would routinely burn down and people would lose their lives. And there was huge impact on, um, on our economies by the fact that we didn't have proper fire codes. Uh, whether it's the Chicago Fire or the uh, Triangle uh, Way Shirt Company, mm. right? Uh, whether it's affecting people or labor. And uh, labor played an important role in getting those rules changed. And our, our cities are safer today. Our workplaces are safer today because of um, grassroots and labor uh, activism that through the mode of government uh, regulations made it made a difference in people's lives. Now, no one wants bad government regulations. And the problem is that people always confuse the fact that there may be something that's antiquated or was poorly thought through with the general phenomenon of government regulation. And what's happened in our society, uh, it's funny you mentioned um, Clinton, just from a historical perspective with, you know, Ronald Reagan, we had um, government by anecdote, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not by data, but by anecdote. And there are, you know, there are silly regulations out there. There are outdated regulations out there. There's sometimes bad uh, implementation, but that's anecdotal. That isn't data driven. That isn't really considering the role of 
um, of government in our in our lives and promoting health and safety and uh, the environment. And let's you know, let's talk about the environment. Uh, something that I feel is you know is is really very important. Uh, our our rivers and air are cleaner because of government regulation. End of story. Uh, that, yeah, and you know, we're, we're seeing the, the um, uh, we're we're seeing the effects of uh, lack of regulation right now in uh, the East Palestine, Ohio. Yes, absolutely, and that's this is we see we see what happens when there is a lack of it. I'm just my my point is it's not just you know I don't just just want to point to examples of failure. I want to point to examples of success that we can build upon. And so, whether it is um, you know the ozone hole. Or as I said, cleaner water, cleaner air. Uh, we're not all the way there, um, but government regulation plays a critical role in those successes. I have been. I worked. Um, I, something you didn't mention. I worked with the United States Defense Threat Reduction Agency Biological Weapons Proliferation Prevention Program. So I was able to travel to Russia, and what you see there is the result of unregulation. Their, their lakes are polluted. Uh, their air is polluted. Uh, so, uh, you know, their factories are not safe. So this, you know, we, we see the difference that these, that these, that regulation makes uh, in people's lives. And we need to emphasize oh, what can be achieved uh, through it. Again, proper regulation, um, uh, uh, modern regulation, uh, but it's not, you know, we, we just can't shy away from it. We can't just agree regulation is evil. That is, that's, that's playing on their field mm-hmm. and it is, it's a completely incorrect um, approach. We're just, we're just forfeiting uh, what, uh, what we're all about. Yeah, actually, you know, I want to go back to something you said about uh, Republicans, Reagan specifically, but Republicans in general, I think, have been really good at this, uh, is is turning a good anecdote into a story and using it for messaging. Uh, the data might, uh, you know, prove that progressive policies are most effective, but it's not sexy. You know, a good, yes. a good, a good story some good messaging is sexy. So like what what are Democrats getting wrong at messaging? Because if you look at every single contentious issue in the in this country, the progressive position is favored by two thirds of the population. Why can't we get that? So that's a, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating comment there. If you if uh, the, the particular example and I was involved uh, in this had to do with, you know, healthcare, so-called Obamacare, the American. And, you know, if you give people the individual policies, they were in favor of nearly every single one of them by overwhelming majorities. But if you ask them about the whole thing, they were again it, you know. And so uh, it is about it is about proper messaging. Uh, but you we. You know, we need to be messaging about the effects on people's lives. When we talk about, which I, I agree with the focus, but we when we just talk about, you know, society or the environment or the planet or the future, it doesn't have the same resonance 
as when we're talking about individual lives. And I, I understand the value of, of anecdote. My only point was that uh, anecdote alone is not actually evidence. You can marshal anecdote, uh, but ma- we should be marshaling anecdote in the interest of uh, the actual data. Our anecdotes should be illustrations of truths rather than distortions uh, of the truth. But we, uh, you know, as Democrats, it's hard. It's also one of the major problems, and I'm just going to say this outright, is that uh, Democrats are a coalition of different interests, and people tend to be so focused on their particular uh, issue that they don't fully understand that we succeed together. If I were to summarize what happens on the Republican side, um, in, in contrast, uh, it's a coalition, but it's a coalition where there is a, a dominant force. It's changed a bit, and I'll say that in a minute, but a dominant force which is manipulating the junior members of the of the coalition. So the senior members, until relatively recently, have been mostly interested in plutocracy, mm-hmm. right? in corporate power. They're interested in um, money being retained by the wealthy. And they used the language of, I'll I'll just give the example, uh, guns and family and, um, you know, uh, suppression of of women's rights uh, to, to healthcare, to um, abortions and so on. They used that, but their main goal was preservation of the plutocracy, preservation of uh, the power of the corporations and wealthy. What's happened to the Republican Party is those junior partners have now taken over the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they continue to serve. Uh, the interests of the plutocracy. They they continue to align themselves with those elements, even though it doesn't actually uh, serve their interests. And the uh, you know plutocrats were not really interested in uh, they, they you know they were just using it as um, you know as a form of feeding the the prejudices of the crowd. Uh, that they were aligning themselves with those those policies, but they have strengthened those groups enough or given them enough money and enough power that they um, they've come to dominate the uh, Republican Party. And so I see an opportunity for the Democratic Party to actually reach more of America by communicating about economic interests, uh, because our economic interests align with far more of the American population uh, than the uh, Republicans ever did. And so there's an opportunity. Will the Democrats understand that and rally around uh, economic interests as something that's primary uh, to our focus? I, I can't say that they will, but that's what's necessary uh, in order for all of the issues that are important to the Democratic coalition to succeed. Yeah, those uh, those junior members of the Republican Party, your, uh, geez, your Josh Hawley's and your J.D. Vance's and your 
Marjorie Taylor Greens and all those. It's uh, your the, the the national conservative block versus your old libertarian block. They've been very good about co-opting the language of economic populism um, without actually advocating for economic populism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, Trump himself, you know, he, he's talking about now, he wasn't talking about elections being rigged. You know, the whole the whole system was rigged against you. And, you know, and right about that. I mean, the system is rigged. Yes. But he <laughs> but the point was what, what I, I was saying. So he's he's saying that language. But mm-hmm. he always said, you know, I'm going to be your savior. And but none of his policies aligned with uh, actually promoting the well-being of you know the the middle class and uh, you know the the you know the less privileged uh, Americans. None of his economic policies actually accomplished anything uh, for those individuals. He spoke. I was just agreeing with you that he spoke that language. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was, he was very good at um, turning that language against us. Yes. Um. And, and you're right, you know, as you said, you were saying there is an opportunity because there is sort of a rift within the Republican Party right now. And, you know, and there's a rift in the Democratic Party to an extent with your, um, you know, your progressive, your your squad, your your Bernie people, the younger candidates. And then you've, you know, you got your Pelosi's and Schumer's and Feinstein's and that old guard there. Um, now, I know. Pelosi has uh, turned over the the reins to Hakeem Jeffries, um, but he's still, you know, essentially a, a, a neoliberal. Um, I, I guess how do the how do the the Democrats avoid the the, the same uh, I don't know train wreck that has become the Republican Party? I don't think we're heading towards that that train wreck, but. The most important element of for success of progressive ideas for success of uh, the Democratic Party are young people in America, and we have to find ways to increase their participation, to overcome their apathy, to overcome their disgust to overcome their um, belief that, you know, the, the system can't be changed, that there is just futile to participate. That needs to be overcome. That, that's, the great, that's the great solution uh, to the problem is involving younger people. Younger people tend to have, be more progressive on uh, economic issues and they tend to be more progressive on social issues, uh, but they are not participating, they're not using their strength to fashion the America that they are going to have to live in. They are allowing their elders, who aren't going to be around for that long, determine their futures. And that is where the emphasis uh, has to be placed uh, in, you know, that, that, that's where success is going to be achieved, is if uh, those individuals who are going to be confronting the consequences of 
lack of action on climate, who are going to be uh, confronting the problems with a concentration of wealth uh, in the hands of the few, who are going to be uh, confronting the issues of ongoing intolerance and um, belief that violence is the way to solve problems. You can't, you know, you, you, the, the older generation, you know, whether for all their, you know, whether they're at fault or not, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that the younger generation isn't um, standing up enough to defend its interests and its vision uh, for the future. I, you know, I am, I am older. This is not a, this is not a criticism of the younger generation. This is a call to action uh, from people of all ages to create the conditions that young people will see their participation as valuable, valued, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that it, is a, it is an approach that I take as a participant in the political process. I take great pride uh, in my uh, outreach to younger uh, people and preparing them for leadership roles in the future. I do that as an educator. That's, you know, major goal as an educator, but also as a participant in the political process. But th- that's where we have to, uh, you know, we have to be placing our, we have to be placing our uh, efforts um, on that endeavor, and we we can't give up on it. We can't give up. We can't just say, "Oh, you know, young people, you know, they're they're voting, you know, uh, rates are so low, and they only participate in uh, you know presidential election years and so on and so forth." All of which is true. It's I'm not saying that that isn't true, uh, but that that doesn't give us an excuse to not continue to strive. Uh, to bring them into the process because th- their voices are the ones that are going to make the change. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I have been encouraged the last couple of election cycles that, that youth participation has been uh, way up versus historical benchmarks um, anyway. I, I, I do. I think they're starting to to realize that if they don't jump in and arrest control from the previous generation, they're not going to have a planet left. Yes. So I think that may be true on the national level. I'm concerned that it is in Indiana. Uh, I mean, we all have all sorts of challenges. We have low participation in general, uh, but we also have low participation from the youth uh, here in Indiana. And I believe that um, progressives, the democratic party needs to be putting more resources into increasing youth participation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like Indiana's Democratic Party seems just absolutely decimated. There's no bench. We've got a governor's race coming up. Uh, Mike Braun's terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible. You know, what, what are we going to put out there that's, uh, you know, inspiring to defeat him? Um, we've got a Senate race coming up. Jim Banks is a fascist. Um, who's going to run against him? Uh, and, and, and there were countless races in the last election cycle uh, where Republicans ran unopposed. Yes. Uh, is that a lack of resources, a lack of leadership? What do you think? 
<sighs> Lack of resources, certainly. Uh, one of the things about Indiana Democrats is that we send a lot of our resources out of state. And I understand why that's the case, but it has the consequence that there are insufficient resources for in-state races. Uh, so, go ahead. But if, but if I was to listen to Republicans, I, I was understanding that uh, the left was rolling in unlimited George Soros money. Right. Well, <laughs> none of those dollars have made it towards me. So I, I'm still waiting uh, on my Antifa. I'm unaware. Um, so is it, is it more resources from the national party that we need? Uh, is it, is it we need to keep more of our money. Up? We need to keep more of our money at home. Mm-hmm. That's first we need, you know, as Democrats, we need to, uh, you know, focus more on our, uh, races. We need to be mobilizing. We really need to have a complete focus on mobilizing younger voters uh, to participate and go to the polls. So that, that needs to be a, um, a four-year, not once every four-year, a four-year endeavor all around the clock. Uh, we have to do that. Uh, we also have to be more effective at uh, conveying that message about what we stand for, how we are going to better people's lives. That is, uh, we, you know, if I w- if you're in, oh, I don't know, I'll just pick a county in the, my Senate district. If you're in Park County, uh, you know, our, our messages about, you know, social issues, they don't resonate highly there. I'm not saying we should abandon them. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the forefront of them, you know, in terms of advocating for them, but they don't resonate. Uh, if we need to be talking about things that make differences in people's lives, how, for example, uh, government can play a positive role in uh, bringing cell phone service in trying to make sure that economic development doesn't just occur in West Lafayette and Indianapolis that uh, infrastructure funds are being spent in those areas, that we are doing things to try to make sure that young families uh, can have work and decent schools in those areas. If we, if we don't address the, you know, the issues that are important to those individuals, we cannot, we cannot win. So that's, you know, so that those are the sorts of messages. And I and I would argue that the messages that we can succeed with are economic messages. Uh, and that's and but but we don't have to sacrifice anything for our economic uh, messages. Having, you know, more equity, having more um, distribution of of wealth and resources. Uh, we don't have to abandon that. In order to succeed, uh, we just have to be consistent that that is our that is our message. Uh, it's difficult because uh, the traditional media is almost completely lacking in large parts of the of the state, uh, and so it's 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 difficult it's difficult to understand how we convey those. Uh, messages, but we have to do a better job of doing it. 
yeah, Republicans are certainly good about like being like really loud and obnoxious and grab you by yes. the collar and they're going to tell you what they think and you're going to hear about it. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, you know, I think they want to keep the focus on culture war issues because they know their economic positions are terrible and unpopular. Yes. Um, yes. And 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 I think Democrats keep walking into the trap. Yes, I agree. Um, so. <laughs> Do you think Democrats could benefit from running as a group? Um, I feel like it's a lot of individual braces and individual personalities and, you know, everybody's trying to raise their own money and do their own thing. Why can't the Democrats say, we are the party for the people. These, this is what we stand for. Uh, vote for us down ballot. All the way down, you don't even need to know who your person is. Preferably, we'd have somebody in every race. But you don't need to work as hard to get your name out there and just like get traction. And um, I feel like too much of the onus is pushed down on the individual. Um, when you know, really, there, there's there's good branding potential there. I think that's I think that's the I mean, you know, I agree with you uh, with the approach. The thing is that if you look, for example, you look at the numbers in in my races um, and in general, the local candidates do better than the upper candidates. So uh, I believe that uh, in the, you know, my, in my counties, uh, I did better than all of the state candidates. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think that, that, that message is, is important, but I'm not sure, uh, that that alone is, uh, the message. I think the message has to be more of, instead of thinking about, you know, candidates, it has to be more of, uh, as much as I, you know, wanted and needed, uh, support, uh, I think it just has to be about the party uh, to create the environment where individual candidates can succeed. The party needs to communicate better about what the, the party stands for and why the things that the party stands for are good for the people of Indiana. Very good. Um, so... I, yeah, I guess we're kind of stuck, I suppose. <laughs> it, 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 well, it, it, the, the way this country works, the way the way our political system is set up with uh, winner-take-all elections and uh, single-member districts and you got the ballot access uh, restrictions and, and um, it, it just sort of those things will give you a two-party system, whether whether it's designed that way or not. Um, and so I think we're 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 stuck with the Democratic Party, and it is on us, um, and especially on the younger generation of progressives to uh, it, it take over to, to to commandeer the ship and say we're going this way now. Well, we need we need to understand again. We need to understand the importance of, as you say, ballot access and other things. I mean, gerrymandering, uh, things like that. We we don't 
we don't understand how important these things are compared to the Republican understanding of them. Of course, 2010 was a the, the, the Tea Party was just was just sort of like a sideline. There had been a long plan in 2010 to redraw all of the state legislature, um, you know, and congressional uh, districts in order to favor the Republican. That was that was the that was a, a total focus mm-hmm. of their efforts. And that was a uh, project to, red map, I believe it was called. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we had it in this in this state when uh, when uh, Mitch Daniels was um, was governor. And, of course, these sorts of things, you know, that power breeds power. And because of that success, uh, you know, we have the you know, we have the one party rule that we have here. And then we have people like uh, Todd Rakita and uh, Diego Morales as the product of that those efforts they go back to 2000 they go back to 2010 but we just don't understand how important that part of the game is and how uh, important uh getting proper uh finance of campaigns and we didn't we don't fully understand how important the court system is to uh, the democratic playing field, democratic with a small d. Uh, mm-hmm. We 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 have a, you know there these are long term projects that the Republicans have you know focused on understanding how the system works in a way that Democrats simply do not, with their focus just on uh, their their own particular issues. And until we, you know, until we confront that, until, again, we get younger people to understand those process issues, uh, it's going to be very difficult for us to um, achieve things. Now, in this past election, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade and the threat that it opposed to women around the country became an important issue. But unfortunately, not in Indiana. It did not move the needle in any substantial way uh, in in Indiana, and uh, that's um, you know that that was a major uh, a major failure. But if we unless we can confront those two things, you know the the way our democracy is structured and economic issues, I I think we're going to we're not going to be able to succeed. Certainly, again, focusing on Indiana. Um, where, where that's that's it just can't it just can't happen. Uh, I often say that uh, voters don't choose their representatives; representatives choose their voters. That, this that's is, what we got. Yeah, this is the way our system works, and we have to you know we have to understand uh, that we are you know progressives, Democrats are underrepresented in this country. You know, by any generic ball- ballots. We win. We win, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at, you know, at, but uh, because of the way that our, our system uh, is organized, some of it is constitutional. Obviously, some of it has to do with the, you know, two senators for states that have, oh, I don't know, 600,000 people, in them or, yeah. or whatever it is, the, the real number. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, you know that that's part of the problem that it's it's unrepresentative, 
uh, but we just our districts are unrepresentative of um, you know the interests of the American public, and we have to recognize it, and we have to figure out how to oppose it because those process issues are uh, equally important to um, quality of our candidates and the quality of our political messages. Yeah, gerrymandering is corruption and should be called out as Yes, yes, I agree. Well, very good. Uh, Dr. David Sanders, thank you so much for joining the Who's Left podcast. Absolutely, glad to be here. Now that Dr. Sanders has me sufficiently pumped up and ready to run through a wall, let's check in with my old friend and Democratic Party skeptic Emily Duchon for a swift kick in the nuts. I am joined by Emily Duchon, an old friend from the restaurant industry. Em, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, man? You know, uh, been been fighting COVID, but uh, I'm alive and I'm here. <laughs> That's all you can ask for. Uh, how about you? Good. I mean, thankfully not fighting COVID. I had that last year. It was actually how I started my year. So uh, 2023 is already off to a much better start. Uh, but yeah, just been kind of enjoying life up here in Indianapolis. And uh, I've really kind of been exploring the city a little bit more with kind of like a renewed appreciation. I, I kind of was just a homebody for a long time living up here initially and now I'm just really starting to hit my stride in terms of enjoying what the city has to offer. That's awesome, yeah. Indy Indy is a great town. I don't get up there enough. Well, feel free so, to come um, visit. <laughs> I would love to. That'd be a hell of a fun time. Um, so, you are kind of in the used-to-be-a-Democrat camp can yeah. you uh, sort of tell me how you, you know, made those decisions? Tell me about your journey a little bit. Sure. Uh, so I don't really associate myself with a party at all at this point. Uh, I Growing up, my parents were both Democrats. Um, well, they still are. <laughs> they're, they're with us, praise be. But um, so I was just always raised with the idea that being a Democrat meant that you are a person that supports uh, positive change. You want to see everybody around you succeed in some kind of way. Uh, and so you, you know, seeing people have access to health care, uh, seeing local businesses thrive, seeing um, just how regulation isn't necessarily a bad thing and how it can positively impact different kinds of motions that are just going to help everybody. Uh, but I, I feel like as I've continued to, you know, learn and, and kind of grow up, I don't really feel like the Democratic Party is that way anymore. I do feel like they've kind of shifted more into that concept of, you know, which lobbyist is paying me to push what or, um, you know, what it, what is it that's going to be beneficial to me rather than what's going to be beneficial to my community and the people that I'm representing, which is the exact point of electing these officials 
is that they're supposed to be representing the people that they're you know that they have lived amongst so uh, for me it's really more about just finding the person that I think is going to try to fight the most for their community and and do positive things for their community which unfortunately I'm not really seeing happen very much with either party uh, yeah, it's like that uh, meme with the, the fighter jet, and there's the Republican fighter jet dropping bombs, and then there's the Democratic fighter jet dropping bombs, and it's the same thing, but with, like, a coexist sticker on it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the the rhetoric doesn't match the results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, like, could, you could talk all day and say what you're, what you... like what you claim you're going to do all day but when you're actually in that chair and you're really just looking out for yourself or whatever's gonna like handle or I guess bring you back the most financially then you're not really doing what you originally had us all voting for you for sure now uh, I guess they would say or some would say uh, well boy we're really really trying but the Republicans just thwart us at every turn uh, are, are are they are they trying are are they incompetent are they not trying hard enough what what do you think? I think that excuse is extremely tired from both parties because that's what they're always going to say. They're always going to blame each other. It's either going to be, oh, yeah, well, I tried my best to do it, but I couldn't because of those darn Republicans. Or, oh, I tried my best, but I couldn't do it because those darn Democrats, you know, and it's... I guess my thing is I've seen that the House be majority Democrat. I've seen it be majority Republican. And I still don't really I, I see everything pretty much staying the same. So I just think that it's a very tired excuse. And I'd like to I, I mean, I guess maybe I'm a little too ignorant. And I don't have enough information as to what all goes into it. But I think it's way oversimplified by just blaming the other party for why you can't do your job competently. Sure. Well, and especially when if you look at uh, Biden's first two years here, for example, uh, he had the House and the Senate. Now, I know it was a razor thin margin in both, um, but it, it was Democrats that thwarted his agenda. It was uh, Manchin and Cinema in the Senate. And I don't know the internal dynamics of it and how effective calling somebody out in public would be, but I want Joe Biden to be like, hey, buddy, get in line. Yeah. Well, and I guess, I mean, along those lines, too, we can I at the end of the day, we don't really know. But I mean, I guess we can we can speculate until we're blue in the face. But I guess my my thing is, if they're not supporting you, uh, feel free to pull a Trump and just sign an executive order and show them you mean business. We've had we had plenty of situations where, you know, Trump was just signing off on whatever it was that he wanted to get accomplished because it wasn't moving quickly enough or he wasn't getting the results that he wanted. So he just went ahead and signed a piece of paper and made it happen. I don't see Joe flexing that muscle. Yeah, and I know there are constraints on what can and cannot be done by executive order, but you'd at least like to see the fight. Yeah. I want to see somebody out there really fighting for the working people. 
I, I don't I don't I don't know if the Democrats are doing that. Now you used to be a a, a Bernie guy back in '16, yeah. I was. I was a very big Bernie person for sure. Um, I. <clears throat> I feel terrible saying it because, I mean, to me, I've always been one of those people where it's like, you can't complain if you didn't vote. But um, I'm not going to lie. I did not vote uh, that year for president uh, in terms of Trump or, or Hillary because I was so frustrated that my, you know, at the time, the party that I identified with was not listening to the people that make up their own party. And just, I don't know, to me, it seemed almost like they just went with with who they wanted because they knew her and they wanted they knew that she was going to be a good talking piece for their agenda versus what the people wanted because i mean look at the turnout for his rallies versus her rallies and like people that were you know voting one way or the other in the primaries i just feel like it was and i had a lot of friends i so for me i don't i don't shut people out just because they think a way different than i do uh if somebody you know has a different viewpoint i think Think that that's what makes what makes life interesting if everybody thought the exact same way it'd be pretty boring but um for me i had plenty of friends who have identified as lifelong republicans like even like much older friends who had told me that if it had been bernie versus trump they would have voted for bernie and i just feel like we would be in a very different america than we're in right now if the democratic party had listened to its own people versus just going with the mouthpiece that they wanted to use at the time uh yeah yeah we we you know we we could have had a bad bitch so, Em, you listened to the uh, interview I did with Dr. Sanders. What did you think about what he had to say? Consider yourself a, a progressive, though. Like, you, you might be without a home as, as far as a party, but you, 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 you'd say that you have progressive views? Yeah, I would say for me, the whole point of the any <laughs> anytime I'm voting for somebody, I'm not necessarily voting for every single thing that person says, but I'm voting based off of who I, like, when I wake up tomorrow, is the world going to be slightly better around me because of the person that I voted for? And uh, so for me, like, yeah, I'm progressive because I think, I mean, in general, I we're seeing so much, like, I guess, weird energy from both parties because it's such a weird, like, power play. Um, and I would just like to, for me, it's, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what party you identify with. I just want everybody to live a better life. And I think that that's so sad that we live in a society now where that's a radical idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so the Democratic Party is uh, maybe or maybe not the proper vehicle for uh, you know, progressive change. They say they are. They certainly look like they're not. Um... So, Em, you listened to the uh, interview I did with Dr. Sanders. What did you think about what he had to say? Uh, I appreciate his viewpoint, but to be honest with you, I mean, I feel like 
he's almost really good at, at positioning it so that he's very like Switzerland on it. You know, I, I think that there needs to be a little more, um, I guess, accountability put on the Democratic Party, because, yes, they do claim uh, to, to be progressive and they try to act like they're progressive. But um, I mean, what's what's that phrase like you can you can put like lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You know, it's like you, you can you can dress it up however you want verbally but where's the action yeah yeah um well, well what you know one of the things that uh dr sanders uh, you know really emphasized i guess was the uh, the small progress and uh, i guess maybe not trying to take it all and in, in, in one chunk and just, you know, m- moving the ball, you know, with, with regulation here and regulation there and uh, you know, showing you can make people's lives a little better and then, and then, and then talking about it. And I, mean, I guess there, they don't, there have been marginal improvements, um, you know, say under the Obama administration, it was certainly a hell of a lot better than his predecessor and better than Trump and um, you know Biden's been infinitely better than Trump I mean Trump's garbage let's just put that out there um, well and I, no, I first of all please do not take this me defending Trump um, I'm just saying I don't know what America thought was going to happen to have a former reality star that's gone bankrupt how many times running a country so like I don't to me, the bar was already set. Extreme. There was no bar. I, c- I couldn't even set the bar low because there wasn't even a bar to set for him. It was just like, mm. uh, you know, it, it's like having a toddler run free with a Sharpie on white walls. And just like, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and well, I mean, I guess it, the, the fact that the country would take a chance on such an unknown quantity uh, certainly is a testament to the disappointment of the Obama era. I don't even think it's necessarily a disappointment of the Obama area. I think or era. I think it's just the fact that you know we were as a country we were so frustrated in general with what we were seeing in politics that we were like screw it let's go ahead and let old boy go in there and see what happens you know like i think i don't even think it was necessarily just a response to obama i think it was just a general disappointment in what like current politics have become and what a joke it is and what pomp and circumstance there is that it was like ah you know what Let's let have let's let him have a go, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we saw what happened. We uh, very nearly lost democracy itself. It wasn't great. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> um, and yet, and yet, um, boy, you know, Biden won by the skin of his teeth. Yeah. And you know, at that time. Democrats barely held the House. Um, You know, they got a tie in the Senate. (sighs) I guess, what does that say when 
things could be so demonstrably bad under Trump that you know, 74 million people still voted for him. Um, I mean, a lot of that, there's a lot of, you know, disinformation. I think I, I appreciate the internet. I use it rather frequently, but it's, uh, we're, we're living in a time right now where you can come up with any idea and you can find a web page that's going to back it up you can find somebody who claims to be an expert on something i mean that's why we have flat earthers there's there's going to be something that's going to back up any opinion that you have so rather than actually being able to educate yourself you're really just going to be searching for a source that's going to complement the opinion that you already have so i think that there was a lot of that going on during uh these last two voting cycles especially you know with the response to coronavirus and things like that you know um or i guess i should say COVID 19 but (laughs) you know it's it's one of those things where people weren't necessarily seeing the actual facts in front of them more than they just wanted an echo chamber and they wanted somebody to agree with them so they were voting based off of a, a place of wanting to be heard versus what the actual, you know, information was that was happening. Yeah, yeah well, this is a, a, a big problem currently and, uh, you know, something that we're certainly going to explore in future episodes. And it's that there's this information bubbles where... Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, conflicting opinions don't even, uh, you know, break through. Like you, you, it's it's not even conceivable that there, that's that another side exists. Yeah. Um, like, oh, like the well, especially the conservative bubble, but you know, your your Fox, your Newsmax, that, um, you know, between obfuscation and selective truth telling. Um, you don't even know what's true anymore. You only hear what you want to hear. Exactly. Uh, And and so that is going to be a huge problem just to break through that to to, to achieve any kind of progress. Um, What did... What did you think about Dr. Sanders and, uh, you know, his thoughts on youth participation uh i was a little frustrated with that uh i know that he did immediately try to like overcorrect and uh steer back in a little bit because he had said something along the lines of like um we're not seeing enough participation from the youth and this is like a call to action this isn't a criticism uh because you know the younger you know the the younger generations are letting these much older generations make decisions that are going to impact them and not impact the older generations necessarily and they're not really doing enough to combat it but i mean um like i honestly i think one of the best examples is like when uh was it parkland that was the school in florida uh that, uh, that was uh marjorie stoneman douglas was the high school but yeah parkland is the the, the town yeah so um when that happened a lot of those kids that were doing their best to say like let's make a change let's do things they were too young to vote so we've got an issue where there's a lot of people who want to make a change but they they don't necessarily have the opportunity to do so and then on top of that when they're you know 
doing interviews, when they're talking with people, they're being told like, well, you're just a kid. You don't know anything. It's I, I think that the issue that we run into is that there are a lot of young people trying to make changes and that they are trying to do things. But because we aren't seeing those come to fruition, it's somehow our fault that there's not change being made and that there's not enough being done just because the change hasn't happened yet. So that for that was why it was frustrating to me, because it's it's like if you um, you know, if you're unemployed and you apply to, you know, a million jobs and go to a million interviews, the people that are around you, if you are still unemployed, are going to be like, well, why don't you just go get a job? Like, it's just so easy. They don't see all the work that's going on behind the scenes to try to get to that next level and try to make things happen happened so i i just thought it was a little out of touch for him to to say that it was a call to action for the youth because i actually haven't been alive during a time where i've seen more young people trying to get involved and trying to get interested because of how frustrated we are yeah and well i think and i I think i mentioned this to with with when i was talking with dr sanders is um you know, youth participation has been up the last, you know, 18, 20, 22. Yeah. 22, not as high as 20. But but, but the, the participation's been up, at least in terms of voting. Um, and now I will say, uh, you know, that's just the voting part. Um, it, 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 voting is necessary, but not sufficient. Do we need, um, do we need more from, you know, your, your generation, and, and the generation below you. I don't know, because I think I'm like beyond just voting. I think we're seeing a lot of different like activism and, and people kind of rallying around different causes and ways beyond just voting. I think that you've seen a lot of organization like um, I mean, when there was the protests that were going on during 2020 and all these, you know, different kind of uh, movements that were going on. Honestly, I was seeing a lot of young people be a part of that. I wasn't necessarily seeing the older generations doing that and so then uh just kind of becomes i guess a question of what 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 do we have to do to to get something done because we're you know quote unquote following the rules in terms of doing all the things that were you know right to assemble and you know going out and voting in larger numbers than you know we might have before and we're still not seeing any difference so i think that's uh you know and and that's pretty alienating for for younger people as well especially if they originally are identifying as you know being a democrat you're gonna see those numbers start to slope off a little bit or you're going to see them voting for independent candidates because they're not seeing any change get made when they are trying to do what they're what's supposedly like the correct thing to do yeah i feel like um you know the the democratic party has maybe done a good job of co-opting the the messages of social justice without delivering the social justice mm-hmm. it's like the, the the empty gesture of a and taking a knee while wearing a kenta cloth um, with no substance behind it. Yeah, it's like a Fortune 500 company, you know, recording record profits, but then like, hey, thanks guys, you did it. Here's a pizza party. You know, it's like, I'm not, where's my portion of this? How do I benefit from doing all of this work? And yeah, yeah, that's an absolutely fair question. Um, Boy, well, one of the things I really fear 
is if the Democrats don't really fully embrace the the calls for progressive change from the youth, that there will be disillusion and uh, that, you know, they might look to Republicans for change just because it's change. Yep. Um, and uh, the, the MAGA coalition um, ha- certainly has out there solutions that are different from the normal. Now, those solutions are facts. So we should not we should not choose these. Let me let me be fully clear. But they're offering something different. Um, not good, but different. And and I really think it's incumbent on uh, some left party or coalition to put forward something that is different than just turn the capitalism up to 11 and let it rip. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like that's what we've been consistently doing. I think that that's why, I mean, I... I don't see the housing market going so great here in the next couple of years, that's for sure. And I I think that's kind of the issue that we're running into is it's just like this this sense of greed of like, how do I benefit financially? And then we get to a point where everything kind of implodes. So rather than thinking short term and thinking about like me, 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 how do I get money? Why don't we like expand that into how can we create consistent growth that's going to benefit everybody? I'm not saying, you know, it's got to be every single person gets the exact, you know, same share of everything. There can still be greedy people, whatever. But at the end of the day, like those systems very clearly do not work. And I'm it's kind of stupid to keep watching this cycle go over and over again, because I mean, isn't that what they say? um, Like in insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results like that's essentially what we've been doing here for how long at this point and i'm getting really uh, irritated yeah, four with years, it. reagan <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so it, it, it is and you and you hinted at it um you know, you said, like, well, I'm not advocating for, you know, everybody an equal share. And you're like, yeah, you're not a communist. Me neither. <laughs> um, but we can, we can achieve, I think, the things we want to achieve through economic populism. And, and that is one thing that Dr. Sanders did, did talk about is, uh, you know, using the language of of uh, economic populism and and taking on uh, entrenched corporate power uh the republicans are doing this you know they they attack woke corporations which is hilarious because there's no such thing as a woke corporation <laughs> yeah but um they they're using the language of their culture war to attack the same capitalists from which they've always got their money. Um, there's no there's no logical consistency, but it doesn't matter because they're using the language and their voters uh, hear that. Um, uh, boy, I don't know what I, where I was going with that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but but the, the Democrats have to be sincere in their economic populism. They have to uh, talk like Bernie Sanders. They have to talk like uh, John Fetterman did uh, in his campaign this past year. Uh, I'm not a big Tim Ryan guy, but he ran a great com- campaign in Ohio, and and that's the way uh, Democrats should be running uh, nationally. And and I don't know, I don't know where their heads are at. I again, I think it just. Uh... The other thing that you'll see is like at the onset, you can see a politician that's very passionate about certain topics and says that they're going to get certain things done. And then once they're actually there, it's like they see how the sausage is made and then they like do a complete 180. So I it's I don't know, because it's just kind of weird to watch how different politicians like careers have played out because you see them start as like this idealist like hey i'm gonna get this done i'm gonna get that done and then they like slowly shift over the years into like a completely different person and i'm just i mean i think that that's why i think that there should be term limits on every political position i'm iffy on term limits um and the Supreme Court has always ruled that they're unconstitutional because uh, it is essentially, you know, violating your freedoms to run for office. Um, I get, I get, I absolutely understand the the want to throw all the bums out, but I do get concerned that um, you lose expertise and continuity that way. And, and in that vacuum um, will be, you know, corporate power that will that will f- fill in that vacuum of, of expertise and continuity and just like, okay, well, new crew comes in and, well, the, you know, the, the lobbyists are the same. And they're the ones who are writing all your laws and just, oh, hey, hey, buddy, welcome to the party. Hey, we wrote something up for you. Just yeah, take this and go. <laughs> so... It, it's complicated, I guess. Yeah, I, <laughs> that is, de- it's definitely complicated to say the least, but I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying about how the lobbyists don't change, but I mean, even if there are, I could probably count on one hand how many politicians I think are like that great that I would want to keep them past a quote unquote term limit. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like, uh, what are we really losing in this scenario? Because I think that there's more room to gain than there is to lose in this situation. Just like how, you know, Um, I mean, what if we had no term limit on presidents? We could potentially be stuck with just... I I don't know. Uh, we could be stuck in some really terrible situations because, I mean, at the end of the day, right now, money's controlling everything. It's not the people. The people aren't controlling anything. The money is. 100. 100% correct there. And, uh, and I thought that's the fundamental problem um, is, you know, you were talking about the, you know, the wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, new politician coming in and all full of hope and dreams and and you know then they start taking lobbyist meetings and 
Well, hey, you know, maybe you could compromise just a little bit here and, you know, donate a bunch of money to your re-election campaign. And 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 then it becomes a little more and a little more. And, and you know, soon enough, you can't say no. Yeah. Um, and I think the problem is that, well, obviously, it's money in politics, but, <laughs> but short of that... Um, I feel like we need a whole generation, wave upon wave, to just come into office, you know, get elected into office, just being the most economic populist they can, get into office, vote their conscience, vote our conscience. Yeah. And if they get a bunch of, uh, you know, corporate donations uh, thrown at their opponent, so be it. You can't be afraid to lose. You yeah. have to you have to do the right thing. And I well, think we've just got too many that are afraid to lose. I 100% agree with that. And the also like another issue that we run into is that people are afraid of change. So sometimes they just keep voting with the same person that's been repping them because they're afraid of the idea of somebody else representing them because it's unknown. They don't know what it's going to be like if that person is it gets replaced by somebody new. And so that's kind of also why I'm for term limits, because uh, we we run into these situations where the same people that aren't doing anything that's positive for their state or, you know, their county or whatever, keep getting reelected over and over again just because people are like, well, I'd rather go with something I know that sucks rather than I would for something that's new that might suck even more. Yeah, the the devil you know, right? Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, certainly there's a, you know, a strong advantage with being the incumbent. And, you know, I, I forget what the re-election rate for incumbents is. It's very, very high, even if they do a crappy job. Yep. Everybody, like, everybody, uh, you know, wants to throw all the bums out, except their bum. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and term limits is one way to do that, I suppose. Like, if we had actual fair competitive districts, th that might help, too. A lot, a lot of the, the big problem is, and this is a thing Dr. Sanders said, he says the, the, the voters don't choose their politicians, the politicians choose their voters. Um, and, uh, you know, Indiana is a really good example of that because the, the, the state is gerrymandered such that Republicans can essentially not lose. Right yeah. What did you, um... No. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I can, I can edit all this later. I'll leave it in. I love a good awkward it. silence this time of year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is the Democratic Party tent too big? Um, as the Republicans have gone fully apeshit. There have been there have been Republicans of conscience who said no, this is too much. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I'm leaving. I'm a Democrat now. Or um, you know, or at least some, you know, so part of some grand pro-democracy coalition. Um, I, I, I like um, get a lot of people Democrats who are like, oh my god, Liz Cheney, what a hero! She made one good decision ever. 
<laughs> like, don't get don't get me wrong. Like I'm glad she made that decision, but that doesn't excuse all of the other terrible. And I worry that folks like that, like like your Lincoln Project people, like Steve Schmidt and and, and Rick Wilson, and hell, hell, if you watch NBC, like Nicole Wallace, these were all Bush people. Look at look at look at Michelle Obama and and and, and W getting snuggly at the inauguration. Yeah. Um, you know you don't you don't cozy up to a war criminal. I, I'm worried that the by by accepting uh, too many people into the tent. Uh, you know the Democrats are trying to be too many things to too many people and and don't really stand for anything. Yeah, I mean I would definitely uh, tend to agree with you on that. I think. Um... They're just trying so hard to be popular that they're they're just throwing noodles at the wall to see what'll stick, you know? I mean, it it's one of those things where they it, they're trying to win a popularity contest, but they would win if they actually did what they were claiming they were going to do and instead they're just alienating the people that they're drawing in. I I I definitely worry that that is where this thing uh, could be headed. And, and so we've got, uh, you know, basically a year and a half from this time until we are like fully in the throes of uh, election season 20. Mm -hmm. And once again, this is going to be the quote, most important election of our lives. <laughs> And it is. It is. They're not lying when they say that, um, because we're potentially looking at, um, you know, another Trump presidency or uh, a Ron DeSantis presidency. And I don't think the country can survive it. Um, so the Democratic Party really has that much time to get their shit together, to really, really put out a positive populist uplifting message and, and 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 you know a new crop of people that are really committed to it if they don't you know there's more than an election to lose here yeah but i mean i'll be honest with you i really don't see the democratic party doing that yeah. uh I hope you're. I hope you're wrong. I hope and I'll I'm tell wrong. You why. I don't want to be right in this scenario. No, um, because this, and once again, this is something I talked about with Dr. Sanders. The um, the way our elections are just the the United States has a first past the post, winner take all election system with single member districts. And g given that, you will always wind up with a two-party system. And the only way to change that system is to get into power in the first place. And, and so it, it's gonna have to take a, 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 a crop of, of Democrats, you know, a, a crop of new people who are really, really committed to this to get in the party to join the party to 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 win elections and when you get there 
dismantling some of those old systems to break up the duopoly. I mean, we need people who are committed to undermining their own power at the end of the day. Getting there, getting the power, using it, and giving it up. Yeah, I wish there was a way to do it. Like, I mean, I wish that they just... It was a thing where they they can't identify, and they just have to go, like, here's what issues I agree with, or here's how I feel about different things that need to change, or different things that I want to keep, and then just have people vote based off of that, because you also have people that are just blindly voting for a party and aren't actually looking into what those people are trying to do. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's branding. It's Coke versus Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> just in this case... Coke will kill you. Yeah, it's actually kind of perfect too, because you got your blue and your red. <laughs> mm-hmm. Coke will kill you. Pepsi will leave you disappointed. <laughs> Sounds like a commercial for RC. <laughs> I was gonna say Dr. Pepper. Dr. Oh, even better, Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah, you get all twenty-three flavors. They're trying to be inclusive. <laughs> Uh, M, I'm going to give you the uh, last word here today. Um, what do we do? What do we do? What do we what do we what do we uh, do to see real progressive change in this country? Sure. So, I mean, I guess to see change really happen, I, <laughs> voting's really the only option. Voting and organizing is the only option that we have here at a local level to see any kind of change get made. Um, in terms of the actual party itself, if if the Democrats legitimately want to see the party strengthen, they want to continue to get the younger vote and they want to, you know, I guess get back kind of to where they were in terms of popularity, then they need to address the things that they claim they're going to change and actually change them instead of just talking about it. You know, it's like it, it, at this point, being a Democrat's almost like being with like an emotionally abusive ex. He keeps crying to you saying that he's going to change and that he's so sorry and that like he shouldn't have talked to you that way. And like two weeks later, you guys are at Applebee's still getting yelled at about the same thing. So it's like, let's how do we how do we make that change? Like, oh, I, maybe the Democratic Party just needs to go see a therapist and work through some of its past trauma so that we can be in a Brilliant. Uh, I, I think we're going to leave it there because that is a fantastic close. Emily Dushan, thank you so much for joining Who's Left. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And there we have it. So, at the end of the day, I think my verdict is that given the way we have a two-party system in this country, we need the Democrats. Um, the Democrats need to step up, and we have to be a part of that. Um, if that involves taking over the party, so be it. We need to throw bodies at the problem. Um, but we cannot just sit back and, and criticize. Uh, I think the time is long past for that. The, the, the times are too important to be on the sidelines. And uh, I think the Democratic Party is the best vehicle we've got at the moment. 
so I'm going to use it, and I encourage you to do the same. So, for this week, my name has been Scott Aaron Rogers, and this has been the Who's Left Podcast. Love each other. See you next week, Indiana. Indiana.